episode 12 of ICO 41, weekly in-depth analysis of initial coin offerings. This podcast focuses deeply on a single ICO each week and presumes some knowledge of the basics of blockchain technology. What's a little different about this podcast is that we read the white papers, we investigate the background of the team, and if we can, we spend time communicating directly with the team in question and we report to you in detail. As always, this podcast is not intended as investment advice nor as any information to lead to any particular action whatsoever. Our aim is to inform and not to suggest. Now, one of the things that I'd like to explain this week before we dive into any specific coins or offerings is something that might not be immediately obvious to everyone who listens to this podcast. Simply, that it's possible to participate in the world of cryptocurrency in a variety of ways. Now, what we've been focusing on in this podcast thus far is this phenomenon, what you might call splashy initial coin offerings. And to recap, this usually involves a very modern and well-designed website, a white paper which explains the what, the why, the how of the idea, usually very well written. And in that white paper, you'll find how the idea can be realized in a better way for everyone if some sort of digital token or distributed technology would be involved. And along with that idea and the white paper and the impressive website, there's inevitably an impressive team of people whose stellar achievements are easily found through LinkedIn and other social channels. And there's also repositories in GitHub with various types of code, some of which is complete, some of which is not. And all of this, all of this is designed to instill confidence in the project. You'll also see sometimes preemptive, well-thought-out posts on all these different channels like Medium, personal blogs, or Steemit, as well as Bitcoin Talk and Reddit. And all of these channels will inevitably espouse certain elements of the white paper. And very often you can tell that this is sort of a way to test the waters for the concept itself. And this, all of this, is in preparation and inevitably leads to a carefully orchestrated token sale. And I'd like to focus on that word sale for a moment because it is an especially accurate description of the events that we've been covering. Because in all of these ICOs so far on this podcast, it's pretty much gone like this. In exchange for currency, generally in the form of Bitcoin and Ethereum, the participants in the sale receive tokens. And more often than not, these are custom ERC-20 Ethereum-based tokens. And these tokens, at least in every single ICO that we've covered in this podcast, and by the way, about 90% of the token sales that you'll see nowadays are what we call 100% pre-mined tokens. And what that means is that they're simply issued in total with some lines of code on the Ethereum platform. And they exist before the sale as this massive 50 million plus store of available coins 
ready to be sold in the initial coin offering event or the token issuance event or whatever the latest creative name is in fashion for these sales. And the undercurrent idea, maybe this is a little disingenuous as we have seen, uh, is that the people who purchase these tokens will not view this as an investment in a security or equity or any kind of speculative investment. Presumably, these participants will use the tokens in the future when the network is up and running to obtain services or benefits of some kind, or maybe they'll do things on the network with this so-called utilitarian token. Now, that's what we've come to know lately as a typical ICO, since most of them right now are a variation of that model. The first thing that I want to point out is that by the way, this is not the way Bitcoin started. And it's not the way that most early coins and tokens got started. And most importantly, it's not the only way to release a coin or a token to the public. It's entirely possible, and actually sometimes happens, as we shall see this week, that coins are issued in ways which are quite different from the sales model. Now, you might be wondering now, what is the chief difference between these typical ICOs that we've seen and what has happened in the past and the what is possible to happen now. And the difference that really matters here is, is the mechanism by which new tokens and coins are created. And thus, this difference is all about mining. Now, because we haven't focused on mining and because not everyone understands how mining works. And because it can get a little bit complicated, I just need to spend a little bit of time explaining the fundamentals of a so-called mined coin or a digital token against one that is, as we said, 100% pre-mined. And like we mentioned, a pre-mined token, they're created pretty much out of thin air with some lines of code. With the Ethereum platform, it's pretty trivial to do this. Practically anyone can create an unlimited amount of ERC-20 tokens with literally a few clicks. Now, look, I, I know I'm simplifying it. Now, this may be true on a technical level. This is not exactly what the vast majorities of these ICOs are doing. They're creating certainly more sophisticated smart contracts and rules about the issuance of their ICO baked into the smart contract and thus into the currency itself. Even so, this is not exactly rocket science to create coins for an ICO, especially using Ethereum, and then pre-mine any number of them. That's the fundamental difference. Now, mined coins, they gain their existence through some different methods. And these methods as a class have become to be referred to, very generally speaking now, various forms of proof. There's several types of proof. There's proof of work. There's proof of stake. There's proof of burn. There are actually others. In fact, the cryptocurrency world is by no means finished thinking about and working on this concept. And even now, innovation continues to solve problems around this idea of how to give birth, how to issue coins. The fundamental concept, 
whether you want to say that the coins are minted and proof of stake or mined as in proof of work, is that the coins didn't exist before the method was applied, and they do exist after the method is applied. They are, I guess you could say, created by participants in the network and not before the participants join the network. That, I guess you could say, is the fundamental difference between these two. Now, for today's podcast, we're going to cover both proof-of-work and proof-of-stake. We're going to start with proof-of-work because that's really how it all started with Bitcoin, and that's how Bitcoins are currently created to this day. It also happens to be how Ethereum coins are created currently as well. Although, a little side note, Ethereum is very soon heading toward proof-of-stake. Let's talk about proof-of-work first. So, in this so-called idea of proof-of-work, nodes, and I think you might remember if you are a listener to this podcast, nodes are essentially computers that run the full version of the software related to the token. These nodes perform actual mathematical and computational work to validate the transactions that appear on the network. And the way that Bitcoin and some other coins employ proof of work to accomplish this validation is to perform a very specific type of cryptographic function in order to solve a difficult problem, mathematical problem, associated with a given set of transactions that occur on the network over a specific period of time. In the case of Bitcoin, it's about 10 minutes. Now, you might want to know or be curious about what a transaction looks like on Bitcoin. Well, it doesn't look like much, to be honest. I mean, it's true. It's true that it's possible to inject all kinds of interesting and strange things into the Bitcoin network, but the vast majority of information for a simple transaction consists of just of a few fields, some of which are encrypted, like the sender, the receiver, and then there's the date, the amount, a few other fields. Think of this as a very narrow spreadsheet. So just imagine, every 10 minutes, this list of transactions on the Bitcoin network is collected by every node on the network, and those transactions are continuously broadcasted to all members of the node so that everyone, for the most part, has the same set of transactions. And the software, in this case the Bitcoin client, that all the nodes are running, makes an effort to solve a mathematical puzzle associated with that set of transactions. So this is like a great competition. In fact, in the case of Bitcoin, there's about 13,000 or so nodes, all competing all at once in one gargantuan cryptographic event for a single winner. And the first node that solves the problem and announces it, sort of like, I don't know, a screaming bingo winner, they claim the prize. And maybe you're wondering, what prize? Well, at the moment, with Bitcoin, it's 12 and a half Bitcoins. And right now, that's a little over uh, $95,000. That's every 10 minutes. That one 10-minute set of transactions. That's called, by the way, a block. And that miner, the one that solved the block, actually won the right to give birth, to create the next block of Bitcoin transactions. 
By the way, guess what the first transaction is in that new block that the miner just won the right to create? Well, you might guess that it is, in fact, those 12 and a half newly minted bitcoins set to the address of the miner. And that new block with that new transaction is then appended to the historical chain of Bitcoin blocks. A lot like the tower of blocks that you played with when you were a little kid, except this is one massive tower of blocks because they stretch all the way back to October, November of 2008. Essentially, every single validated transaction going back in time to the beginning of Bitcoin itself. That's the blockchain. Now that's proof of work. Proof of stake is a little bit different. Some things are the same. There are certainly lists of transactions known as blocks. These blocks are recognized, validated, and placed on the blockchain, similar manner to Bitcoin. And the first transaction of the new block belongs to the miner, except, except that in a lot of proof-of-stake systems, they're called something else. Forgers is a term that's sometimes used. But there are many differences. First of all, there's no block reward per se, but in many proof-of-stake systems, there is a reward for staking over time or holding the tokens. Now, you know, there's something here I have to mention because it's, it's just too funny not to mention it. But if you start to research this space, you're, you're going to start to see the term hodling, H-O-D-L-I-N-G. You're going to see that everywhere. Rewards for hodling. I just want to let you know that this is essentially what's become a major meme in the cryptocurrency space nowadays. It was started by someone who was drunk back in 2013, raging about the price of Bitcoin at the time. And they drunkenly type hodling, reversing the L and the D, and that's pretty much all it took. Instant new word added to the English language with all the force of thousands of people just cracking up. I mean, I think Bitcoin talk finally shut the thread down two or three years later. Anyway, so you hold your coins in the wallet in a proof-of-stake system, and you are simply rewarded for it. I think you should think of it as a sort of lottery. That might be the easiest way to think of it, but with a little bit of weight attached to it. So in most proof-of-stake systems, the forger is provided the block based on a weighted lottery system, if you will, where the amount of coins that you hold will raise the chances of you being awarded a block. But only the chances. There's still plenty of room for smaller stakes to get awarded the block. Otherwise, it would be an instant capital rush, and one node would simply get all the coins. So it's still a game of chance, so to speak, and it's slightly weighted to incentivize people to hold their tokens. Now, the chief reason that proof of stake actually got started was in response to proof of work. The idea is that it, it takes almost no computing cycles. And in that way, it's much greener, purely in terms of the use of energy. I mean, at the moment, the entire hashed power of Bitcoin could probably power a small country's electricity needs quite easily. And so, rightly in my opinion, Proof-of-work systems use energy which could very well be used in other areas of distributed computing like folding proteins or something. 
However, there is one more thing that's worth mentioning about proof of stake, and that's that it has recently exploded. Because now there's a whole slew of coins that are available to invest in using what is known as a so-called masternode. Now that concept masternode, if you look it up, you'll see that it got started with the Dashcoin. Dashcoin was one of the first major proof-of-stake coins. Now the concept of masternode is applied to many other coins, but they all have the same concept in common. That is, with a solid investment in a certain number of the tokens. You can set up a computer to run what's known as a masternode that performs any number of valuable services on the network. But in running such a masternode with a certain number of coins staked, that masternode wallet will be paid in a sort of dynamic return. In fact, they even consider it return on investment. Now, you can spend as little as $40 to run a masternode or as much as $300,000 or probably more to run a masternode, and that obviously depends on the coin and the worth of the coin, the value, and so forth. Now, if you're curious about any of this part of it, just go to masternode.pro, and you'll see a full list, and you'll begin your journey into this very, very hot topic right now of proof-of-stake mining using masternodes. All right. So the idea was to cover the two basic concepts, proof-of-work, proof-of-stake. And the reason for that is because those two methods are important for our ICO this week. And the coin and the ICO name this week is... ROI, Return on Investment. Now, the first thing you have to understand about ROI is that there's no white paper. Yes, there's a Facebook page. Yes, there's a basic informative website. The team is not overly hyped. You're not gonna see Stanford and Harvard grads who spent half their lives working for hedge funds and the other half coding web apps just for fun here and there. So you're probably wondering, well, what is there then? Well, I can tell you that there's at least one dedicated, passionate, and talented person who simply posted the following on Bitcoin Talk about three weeks ago. ROI coin, CPU only, solo mining hybrid, 8% POS, 600% term deposit. And then if you scroll down a little bit, you saw the details, which were at first glance, CPU only, ASIC GPU resistance, pre-mine equals 6% for development cost, expenses, exchange fees, rewards, contests, and bounties. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, fundamentally, it means that anyone, you, me, your neighbor, or anyone else that has a halfway decent computer can download the open source software for ROI, run it, join the network, and start mining for ROI coins. Pretty much where Bitcoin was in the fall of 2008 and the first year or so of 2009. Now you probably already know this, but just in case you don't, I, I need to explain the situation for mining Bitcoin now. It is certainly technically possible to download the Bitcoin software and mine Bitcoin with it, 
and that is to compete with the other 13,000 Bitcoin nodes out there. But I should point out that it's completely and utterly fruitless for you to do so with your computer. I would say that you could probably do better spending your time and money with the Powerball lottery. Again, this is not investment advice. And this is because the projected time frame for a home computer to solve a Bitcoin block at the present time is about 140,000 years or so. And that might be a little too long to wait. Now this is because the so-called mining difficulty for Bitcoin has risen to the point at which the collective mining computer power that is being used to validate the Bitcoin blocks, as I mentioned before, is about the same collective consumption of a typical third world country like Senegal. So it's not the most cost effective thing you can do with your CPU. Bitcoin is generally mined with ASIC miners, which are very specialized equipment, processors with many parallel functions that allow specifically for Bitcoin mining. It's also done through pools of those ASICs operating collectively with a massive amount of hash power. The programmers who created ROI coin, understanding these issues with Bitcoin, have built into their coin a resistance, a resistance to ASIC mining and a resistance to GPU mining. Now GPUs are graphical processing units and those are the chips, the graphic chips on your on your video card, expensive video card, that are used to mine Ethereum and other type of coins that are GPU friendly. The intention for ROI coin is to use neither of these techniques, neither of these specialized pieces of equipment, and instead to be able to use a typical computer chip, maybe a three or four hundred dollar computer chip like an Intel i7 processor. That chip alone should be able to mine successfully for ROI coins, at least now in the third week of November. The other thing I want to talk about, going back to the announcement, there was 8% POS, proof of stake, 600% term deposit. What is meant by that? POS means proof of stake. You know about proof of stake now. This coin supports both proof of work, which is creating coins with your CPU from nothing, but it also supports proof of stake. And in this particular case, it means that if you have ROI coins, you can lock them in your wallet for a certain period of time, and that after that time, you'll be rewarded by specific percentages based on how long you staked or locked those coins. There is a published proof of stake schedule for this coin. It's listed on the website. It's also on Bitcoin Talk announcement. But essentially, it ranges from about a 2% stake for one week and a 50% return on a three-month stake and then all the way up to about a 600% return if you stake your coins for a year. Now, this is a dynamic schedule. In fact, there was a very recent post on the Bitcoin Talk website that mentioned that it was up to about a thousand percent out for about 14 months of staking. Now, as I mentioned before, proof of stake using a master node is one way to go about this, but you can proof of stake lots of different coins, and this is one of them without running what's called a master node. You can just do it from your wallet in this particular case. 
The most important takeaway here for this particular ICO this week that we're discussing is that ROI coin supports both proof of work and proof of stake. That's significant. The reason why that's significant is because you don't need one penny to get started on this, provided that you have an idle computer with, let's say, an i7 processor and some time to get started mining. Then the proceeds of your mining can be staked. This is unusual and interesting, hence the reason why we covered it this week. Now, you might be wondering about exchanges. So ROI coins are currently traded on exchanges. They're going for about a half a penny to a penny at the time of this podcast. But the time of this podcast is very interesting in terms of this particular coin. There is a lot of very fast evolution happening around it. They're making some decisions, and they're going to have a fork very soon, similar in nature to the concept of Bitcoin forking for various reasons. Now, according to the conversations that I saw on the Slack channel for this coin, a relatively modern i7 Intel processor can generate between 100 and 400 500 ROIs per day, although in practice that seems to be a little bit less. And that present value of a penny to a half could be about $30 to $65 a month or so. Now, if you subtract electricity costs, uh, a single computer might be enough to buy some coffee, But this really isn't about the money for the moment. It would be a misunderstanding to think that it's not worth your time to be involved with something like this. Because what this is about is understanding and participating in a true proof-of-work based digital token, generating those tokens without actually purchasing anything at the very, very, very early stages of a coin. Now, I would be the last person in the world to say that the ROI token is going to be the next Bitcoin. But I will say that there's nothing technically, and I'm stressing the technical aspect of it, preventing this from actually happening. Practically speaking, of course, it's a ridiculous long shot because in order for the value to grow with this coin to that level, so many more people would need to join the network and start mining and on and on and on no one can really know whether this could possibly happen. But it is true that this, in fact, is how Bitcoin got started. And so if you're curious and interested to know what it was like back in 2009, which you will never be able to go back to, I'm afraid, now you can actually know what it might have been like to be involved with a coin that you could mine with your computer. It's kind of interesting that way. One of the things that you should be aware of is that It's very rare for anyone to launch a coin like this nowadays, at least in my experience. Uh, You don't see it happen because this kind of release, this kind of ICO is really lost in the media hype and frothing excitement about the typical ICO that you're seeing these days that are generating tens of hundreds of millions of dollars for the people releasing the ICO through what amounts to some excellent marketing. So let's talk about the team and the community response. I'll say that the community response has been admirable. This is not a hyped coin by any means. There are definitely some people behind it. There was that announcement. But ever since that announcement, it's gotten some really favorable grassroots reception on Bitcoin talk. 
And the very day it was announced, the initial announcement occurred on November 5th. The number of people downloaded and started to mine the coins, and these people had a lot of questions, a lot of conversation. Uh, the developers mentioned on November 6th, the next day, uh, that they themselves were running about 50 computers to secure the network and just keep it running to get the project off the ground. And as more people signed up and started mining, the developers said that they'd be backing those 50 machines off. Right at the moment, there's about 54 pages of discussion on Bitcoin Talk, and it's pretty healthy discussion. Uh, there was a Slack channel that was started on the 16th. You can go find that. It's uh, listed on the Facebook page. And the people who are manning that Slack channel are happy to answer any questions. Uh, right now, there's kind of an interesting debate occurring uh, on the Bitcoin Talk channel around um, clustered mining, nice hash, and uh, some of the struggles and decisions that have to be made when you launch a coin like this in an environment, in the current environment, uh, especially with respect to nice hash. Just a quick side conversation about nice hash. Nice hash is a very interesting service, I guess you could say, such that someone with a halfway decent CPU or a, a good solid uh, video card, like any one of my kids, uh, can, can join NiceHash and lease their equipment to the network at large and, and not mine per se, but lease their hash cycles, lease their computing power and be paid in Bitcoin. One of my sons has been doing it for about three months with his already purchased video card for gaming. When he's not gaming, he's leasing his GPU. So in this environment with NiceHash, it becomes, oh, a little bit dangerous to launch a coin uh, that uses proof of work uh, just because there's this phenomenal amount of hash power available. So if you're trying to run something like Bitcoin was back in 2009 with a truly distributed network with sort of egalitarian concepts behind it, uh, it's just a little bit difficult to do that. And that's the kind of the challenges they're facing. You'll get to see that on Bitcoin Talk and on the Slack channel. Kind of interesting. Uh, the Facebook page uh, has some good supports, good information. Uh, it's got a couple of explainer videos. It's very interesting. Very interesting to, I would especially say, uh, Bitcoin Talk is the most interesting channel. It really gives you a window into the early stages of such a project. So, my takeaway for this coin, ROI, return on investment, is that honestly, in my humbly limited experience, you don't get to see a grassroots project like this one appear every day. And it's refreshing and kind of exciting to see it growing. Uh, there was one comment, I think it was on Facebook, uh, I liked that said, hey, this is the ICO for the little guy. <laughs> and it's true. You, you don't need any money to start with this project. You don't need to invest anything. They give you several choices on how to participate. You could go and buy some coins at uh, half a penny or whatever they are on some exchange and stake them. Uh, you can mine for the coins. Uh, you can lock your coins and receive this, this return over time. Uh, they're starting with a bounty, so you can earn some coins through a bounty. It's just now being developed, I believe. And the thing that I like the most about this project is this egalitarian aspect. Anybody with a computer can join. They can just get started immediately. 
I also like the fact that nobody's asking for $50 million here. In fact, there really isn't anybody asking anything of anyone except to download their software, join the network, and see how it goes. And the other thing that I like about this project is the attitude from the team. They're not promising all these great things in the future after they collect your donation. Instead, this team just went ahead and did the legwork first. They built the system, they built the network, they constructed all of this, and then they released it. And then they're just inviting people to join the community. This is very, very different than the 99% of the ICOs we're seeing nowadays, and it's very, very similar to how Bitcoin started. So in general, I would say, have a look at this. It's interesting, at the very least, and I applaud the team for uh, doing it a completely different way that harkens back to the early days of cryptocurrency. Okay, that's it for our coin this week. However, I do have an interesting piece of news because we have a few minutes left. A couple of weeks ago, I did an analysis of a company called Stay A While, and they had a Stay A Bit token that they were going to launch, an ICO, and they decided to call it quits. They decided to step back. And I thought that was, that was very interesting. Uh, and I did have a quick chat uh, with the CEO of Stay A While, and she pointed out some very absolutely valid points, is that the space, the ICO space, is getting a little bit frothy, I think was a term that she might have used. And, and it, it's true. Uh, the ICO space is definitely becoming, I don't know, a little manic. Um, I find it fascinating. I continue to find it fascinating. I just think it's a very, very interesting evolution that's happening at a very rapid pace. And there's this sort of monster or elephant in the room that everybody sort of knows about and uh, is, is very quiet at the moment. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the SEC, I'm, I'm talking about some murmurings from overseas and, you know, it's, it's just this collective, very large gorilla, if you will, in the room, the authorities. And they're starting to waken from this slumber. They're being very cautious, but they're definitely starting to awaken. And how this plays out is absolutely fascinating. The, it's even interesting to look at the differences in the white papers that you read now. It's getting to the point now where there's, I don't know, like pages and pages of rabid disclaimers and preemptive language, you know, that's speaking to some very large, quiet, and potentially, I don't know, deaf or mute uh, animal that's in the room. It's, it's very, very interesting. And um, I will absolutely continue to uh, read these white papers and feature these ICOs. But certainly want to uh, keep everyone abreast of the information that's coming out of these authorities because it's almost as if they're winding up, you know? I mean, are they all having these backroom conversations? <laughs> and, and who knows? But, uh, you know, I'm sure there's thousands of conspiracy theories. I should probably dig some up, but 
fascinating stuff. And uh, I, I really thought that it was interesting that, um, you know, a promising company like Stay A While, which, which is VC-backed, decided to say, hey, you know what, let's rethink this for a minute. It's very, very interesting. And if you're curious about what I mean by some of these stirrings and by some of these uh, murmurings from Europe and so forth, uh, so a cu- couple of statements last week from the EU, two strongly worded statements uh, talking about uh, the risks for investors in ICOs. And then uh, the, the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, mentioning earlier this month, I think it was on November 2nd, uh, talking about the, the endorsements uh, by celebrities and others, was the quote, uh, using social media networks to encourage investors to make investments. Uh, their concept was, hey, this might not be legal uh, since they didn't disclose the nature, the source, and the amount of any compensation that they were paid, directly or even indirectly, uh, by the company. Um, I'm thinking not too far back to a specific ICO called Paragon Coin, where there was a rap star, I think, that was pitching that one. And then, uh, then there's the SEC commissioner who's just giving some keynote speech, uh, talking uh, at uh, some kind of uh, event in New York. He just mentioned, uh, kind of out of the blue, I have yet to see an ICO that doesn't have a sufficient number of hallmarks of a security. Uh, <laughs> so these kinds of things um, is, is just really turning the tide, setting the tone, winding up, whatever you want to call it, leading somewhere. And whether or not it leads to some earth-shaking event or not remains to be seen. It could just be, you know, this, this slow uh, piling on of, of, of uh, little actions and warnings and maybe there'll start to be some, you know, very specific regulations written that maybe some ICOs can get around. What everybody's fearing right now and why there's such a, a sort of a manic push to get these through the door Uh, is the idea that they'll just simply come down and say, okay, look, this is a security if X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z is pretty much boxed into a really tight corner. I think that's what everybody's waiting for with bated breath. And whether or not we're leading there, it certainly seems like it. But again, interesting enough to take a look. So I think that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you very much, and talk to you next week.